Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember that summer? Maybe it was, maybe it was right after we graduated from high school. And we basically did a tour of the South Side playing bid whist at like, you know, different different yeah. people's houses. It was amazing. We were like, yeah, this was like a summer of being a grown up for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And even to be invited to the table, you know, and, and here yeah. we were, the, these two kids, one, one white, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it was yeah, it, 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 all kind of color. No, color it, it was, it was straight up like table. it was straight up like white man can't jump like we were hustling. <laughs> we were hustling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> white That's man funny. white man can't bid. Right. White man can't bid. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's tell that let's tell tell people what bid whist. Bid whist is a more advanced version of spades. Uh, you have four players in two pairs, and you bid your hand based on the number of suits you can win. And the, the cool thing about bid whist, unlike spades, is spades is based on uh, how many uh, spades you have in hand, because that's the best suit in your hand. It dominates yeah. the, all the others. But in bid, it could be any suit. Yeah. And it creates tremendous variation, and a lot of the action depends on bidding. Yeah, yeah. When we get together on Martha's Vineyard, our two families— uh, you know, me and you and our, our wives, Danielle and Stephanie, we end up playing late at night most nights. And yep, most nights. So here, here actually, we, we, we were playing this summer, and uh, I just I had to just press record on my phone because it was, it was getting out of hand, and I, I, I wanted a record of this. You can't talk about Stop bitch. talking across the board. What? Shut Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Shut Uh-oh. Shut <laughs> See, this is what happened with Big. I actually learned playing from your mom, who is a, as cutthroat. <laughs> like that's exactly. you know, and sh- she would hear that and, b- and nod her head and be like, "Yeah, yeah, well, don't don't sit down at the table with me if you're not prepared to 
you know. Right. To not only lose, but yeah. also to be embarrassed yeah, at the same time. Don't come to a gunfight <laughs> with a knife, she would say. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. And I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is Some of My Best Friends Are. In this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities of a deeply divided and unequal country. And on this episode, we're going to take a little vacation. I I think we should talk about this magical place for our families. Where is it? It's Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) All right, let's go. It's a place where people get together and renew their energy. We connect with family. And a lot of people also go there for cultural retreats and for making social change and building political power. So I, I think I think there's a lot to share about the real Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, yeah. So then this TV show came out this fall, Our Kind of People, which at least ostensibly is set at Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And our show isn't going to be really about that TV show, but it is going to be about Martha's Vineyard. That's right. And because the show plays on this notion of powerful Black people, uh, it got to me to thinking about your, wanting your own to power. actually talk about, yeah, <laughs> no, but proximity to power, and I think that's that's kind of what uh, what happens at Martha's Vineyard. All kinds of interesting people come together for vacation. Let's get on the ferry. Let's go. <laughs> yes, we go. That's right. Woods Hole, here we come. How, how many years have we been going to the vineyard? You know, I don't together. I don't, I don't count. I like it, it could either it could either be five or it could be ten. I'm not sure. Well, I think the first trip together <laughs> was uh, back in 2012, so about a decade. I just have this mental image of like Jonah being super tiny. I think the first time maybe he was yeah, three, and Justice was yeah, yeah, and Justice, who's my youngest, was five. Yeah, so so part of the spending summers together for me is also seeing our children grow up together. You know, that, right. that, that, that they're cousins in this way. And, you know, they're, I'm Uncle Ben, you're Uncle Khalil. That's right. I mean, to me, it feels like, you know, the way that people put those markers on their, their closets of how tall their, their kids have gotten, that there's something right. over the summer of seeing marking time by when the child graduates from the carousel to the arcade to going to Backdoor Donuts at midnight. Yeah, Backdoor Donuts, yes. To then hanging out at Ocean Park, to then like right. even driving to a beach party. Like, you know, the old PSA, you know, mm. is your kid home? Do, do you know <laughs> where your is, kid is? Yeah. Right. Do you know where your kid The answer is no, because we're on Martha's Vineyard, right? Yeah. So that's part of the magic uh, of the place. You know, Martha's Vineyard is this place that historically has been overwhelmingly white uh, from sort of upper income to very wealthy. There's different parts of the island uh, that white people own homes and vacation there. Uh, but the fact of owning a home is a big deal. It's an island after all, so it's not easy to get to. And, you know, people fly in and out of the space. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a predominantly white space. You know, it's mostly my kind of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but for a long, long time, it's also been a place, a special place uh, for African-Americans. And there's a place called Oak Bluffs. Uh, it is traditionally the place where African-Americans have, have been living and vacationing uh, for more than a century. So... I mean, I've been dying to talk to you about this new show uh, on Fox series, Our Kind of People. Our Kind of People. Uh, That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Our Kind of People. So, so this, this show, it's on primetime network television, and it's about, or supposedly about Oak Bluffs. 
a lot of people know about, probably most obviously uh, because the Obamas have vacationed there for years. Uh, but I don't think this TV show is about Martha's Vineyard really at all. It's, uh, it's made by the creators of Empire, and it's kind of just a version of Empire, not set in New York City, mm. but set on this make-believe fantasy island. But really, uh, it's even shot in North Carolina. Yeah. We're not going to spoil anything about the show, but it's a soap opera, and it's super sudsy, right? It, it's just wildly melodramatic. You know, beautiful people who are the, the upper-class black echelon and all their scheming and machinations of trying of to... Of intrigue and, and, intrigue and, and backstabbing. And backstabbing, uh, yeah. And, and like uh, uh, illegitimate children uh, and who belongs to who and, and who extorted who in the past. I've seen your type before. Social climbers who save their money for summer house to come here and floss when the families on this island hold it down all year long. Because we don't just have a summer fling with black excellence. We are black excellence. Yeah, it's it's a total caricature, uh, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the actual real Martha's Vineyard, uh, the culture of Oak Bluffs, in so much as it's a kind of class critique of you know a, a, a slice of Black America, right? Like that's that's kind of what the show is set, set up for. So so we watch this new TV show, our kind of people, and we had such a strong reaction to it, right? Like this isn't the Martha's Vineyard that we know. Yes, exactly. And as much as this is personal to me, it's also really powerful. I mean, it's powerful to see what it means, you know, to not be performing a politics of respectability in front of white people. And, you know, what Toni Morrison or others would call, you know, the white gaze. I mean, people really do get to let their hair down. And in that space, um, all sorts of amazing things happen. And and that makes the place really special. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, N.A. member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've always thought about this, of, of the beauty in Martha's Vineyard, that it's unlike other places. It has a kind of subtlety, even a kind of quietness, which is really powerful to me. And mm. my, my favorite spot, actually, is that strip bet, uh, between a pond and State Beach, uh, mm-hmm. which we know really well. Yep, and yep. you are both looking out over this pond with willows and the, and the sunset or the sunrise coming over it. And then to the other side, you're looking out into the ocean. And it's just kind of stunning to me, not in its drama, it's not dramatic, but just to be in this place of tranquility. There's another beach just up the street, uh, or so to speak, on Beach Road. Uh, it is the Inkwell. It is the historic beach that African-Americans carved out a space for their own, and that is where the polar bears. You got to like explain what are polar bears. Listen, polar bears is a group of women who started out decades ago for an early morning swim. And they started doing this because a lot of the early black vineyarders were actually people who worked on the island as domestics a long time ago. And so this was an opportunity for them uh, to get together before they started their workday. That evolved over the years. And then as the group and the number of black vacationers on the vineyard and homeowners grew over the decades, polar bears went from a tiny uh, group of women to, um, I think uh, Stephanie mentioned uh, this summer, there were like- 150 or something. Yeah, more than 150. It's really, really special. It's, and uh, it's, a, it's, it's kind of one of those things at the vineyard that you can't find anywhere else in the world. And, and I'd say like when I was thinking about our kind of people, that TV show and, and just like how high strung everyone was to sort of cut each other's throats. Yeah, I mean, that show, you're right. It does it does make everybody seem like some backstabbing, conniving, evil person. But in fact, uh, this the polar bears itself is so reflective of the culture of Oak Bluffs, because as Stephanie told me, at the end of every session, uh, the leader, Miss um, Carolyn says, you know how you feel right now before you start your day? Take that with you when you go back to, uh, to the shore. Spread that feeling and that love and that warmness to everyone you encounter this day. Mm. Isn't that amazing? And then you do it the same thing the next day. So that's what Martha's Vineyard is so much about. You know, there is a specific reason why we go there to Martha's Vineyard and even that part of Martha's Vineyard around Oak Bluffs and not to somewhere that's actually much closer to home. For us, like, it could be the Indiana Dunes, or it could be Michigan, mm-hmm. or for you, yep, it, could be, like, yep. it, it could be the Jersey Shore. And that reason is race. Jersey Shore. I, I mean, that's, that's, that maybe a bit too far. <laughs> that might but. be too far. <laughs> but it is, it is this history there uh, of race. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'll just say, you know, Stephanie and I over the years have gone on honeymoons and anniversary trips, and I stopped. You, you've gone on one, more than one honeymoon? <laughs> well, well, not exactly, but you get my point. Anniversary okay. stuff. Okay. Uh, and this is my point about the difference between going to Jamaica or some other place. Like in Jamaica, uh, which we've been a bunch of times, um, you know, it's a black country uh, and everybody who works in these resorts is black. 
but all the vacationers are white. And you can count on one or two hands the number of black people who are actually there on vacation. And so I just, you know, stopped enjoying it as much as I could because, you know, Stephanie would want to dance like, you know, at the karaoke bar. And I'd be like, we're the only black people dancing. All the white people are looking at us. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. And so the venue couldn't be more different. <laughs> I mean, it is everything from being able to completely be yourself. Um, there is no white gaze. Uh, there are tons of white people around, but uh, it's as close to like the experience of equality, uh, meaning that no one's looking at anybody like, why are you here? You don't belong here. It is wonderful for guests to, to be alone and, ho and host their friends and simultaneously like the best possible family vacation. Hey, listen, I've been on vacation, too, to places without you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you really? know, e even <laughs> as a kid going on vacation with my family. It turned out they were they were mostly white spaces. You know that that is yeah. kind of the world in which we live. It's 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 America and it's it's vacation places around the world. Um, right. And so so that really is something unique about going to Martha's Vineyard in August, at least to this part of the <laughs> island. Yeah, that's the thing. the The truth is that what makes the Martha's Vineyard uh, unique is that it isn't like a form of segregated vacation. No, not at all. It really yeah. is still this in, this place of, of tremendous integration. Let's talk some about how Oak Bluffs came to be. There's a documentary by Stanley Nelson called The Place of Our Own, which he made in 2004. And his film feels to me like a counterpoint to our kind of people, to that TV mm -hmm. show we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. The documentary has real people in it, and it's so grounded in a sense of place. Yeah, yes. I think for me, um, Stanley Nelson is is uh, probably the most prolific and award-winning uh, documentarian. Period. And as an African American, his content has been uh, just just remarkable. And so I've known Stanley Nelson for a long time. You know, he's done a lot of stuff at the Schomburg Center. So I called him up and I wanted to ask him about this new TV show, but I also wanted to ask him about the history of Martha's Vineyard. He's been going there for sixty-five years. Uh oh. You were you're being the journalist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we historians do do oral history, my friend. Oh, my God, this place, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just an, an incredible place. And it's and it's a place where because black people have been going there, um, you know, since the 1800s. Right. Black people have have a, a foothold. And he said essentially that. Uh, sometime in, in the late 19th century, uh, African-Americans uh, had been uh, there as domestics working uh, for white property owners, wor working in their homes, uh, doing some of the domestic work that we find all over America uh, in the 19th century. And uh, one of the things that comes as a result of that is the ability to buy uh, very inexpensive land and property, tiny little houses, some of them uh, these little cottages that uh, to this day are famous um, in Oak Bluffs uh, as these little gingerbread houses that people, you know, sometimes rent. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of cultural depictions and most of them play to the kind of internal class politics of black America, that there is this upper crust elitist group of people and the vineyard is their playground. Uh, and, you know, we see that in, in a lot of different versions of this, uh, but, you know, in different in different ways. The, the Inkwell from 1994. Love that film. But by the end of vacation, he'll learn all the right moves yes. at the Inkwell. 
and 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 also Jaws, right? Jaws. Yeah, Jaws. 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 That's right. Although my, my daughter, the most famous. <laughs> my, my daughter and I just watched Jaws. She's she's taking a, a class in filmmaking, and she was like, "Let's try to count the black people in it." And it was like, <laughs> it was like five. You know, every beach scene, everything. Yeah, that's right. What a great film and and film Jaws all over Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, that's right. And then there was this famous novel set at, at Martha's Vineyard, The Wedding by Dorothy West. And there's, there's an Oprah miniseries. Produced by Oprah Winfrey in 1998. Now, how in heaven's name could Addie Bannister possibly rent her precious cottage to someone who doesn't come from one of the right families? And just a word, Dorothy West ended up spending 50 years on the vineyard and wanted to tell this mid-century story uh, about um, basically class and skin color um, on the island and wrote the wedding. She's part of this community of Black women homeowners. And to, to this very day, they do social service, they do philanthropic things and do fundraisers, but they're part of kind of the core of the Black community uh, of, of, of Oak Bluffs. Yeah. Yeah. And early on, I mean, I, I saw this as well, that uh, Oak Bluffs was also in the Green Book, which was a way to tell black people where it was safe to travel, where they could actually, That's right. That's where, right. they could yeah. actually like, you know, you can rent in this cottage in this inn here and you can come here. And so this sort of pattern of people coming and more and more people coming and following starts to develop. And uh, at the heart of this black community, uh, was this beach called the Inkwell. It's actually a tiny, tiny part uh, of the coast uh, of, of beaches that, that, uh, that Martha's Vineyard provides, but it still is the kind of center of gravity uh, for the black community that has just blossomed and, and bloomed and you know, where once it was property owners and their children and, and generations of those folks. Now visitors don't just come from Boston or New York. They come from Chicago, like the Austins. Uh, they come from Detroit. They come from California. Yeah. They come from Houston. And it is just, you know, ballooned with energy and excitement and, and culture. Even in August, at the height of this moment of when it's its most, the black visitors are at their peak, the island as a whole is still largely white, like beyond, beyond Oak Bluffs, like, you know, Black Dog Cafe, Nantucket Red kind of place. And there's something about that, like this part of Martha's Vineyard during August, which feels like a what if about America. Like what yeah, if yeah. America was not racist and segregated in the way that it is? Right. And you would experience spaces like this. Yeah. Um, for me, as like both insider and outsider. Like, so my wife is black and my kids are biracial and they, they sort of revel in this place. Um, yeah, it feels really, it still really is such a remarkable place. And unlike really any other place I've been. But I will say professionally, yeah. it's a place where... I mean, literally, there's one degree of separation between me and folks that I either work with or know. And I think this is a relatively recent phenomenon of the last 15 years or so, that there are all these sort of cultural events that are happening there over this this month as well. Yeah, there's film festivals, there's art shows, there's uh, book talks. You know, people are giving lectures. So, so when we come back, let's talk more about that, because I think that the ways that people there want to engage socially and politically while they're on vacation. Like you just said, it's not just an escape to go there, but it's also a way to organize and strategize and figure out how to deal with the real world, with racism and injustice, all the things that are going back on, on what you could say is the mainland. Yeah, we'll talk about what that looks like up close. 
Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We were just starting to talk about all these cultural events in Martha's Vineyard. You know, they happen all over the island. But one of the, the special places where they happened is a church called Union Chapel. And it's this beautiful church built in something like 1870, 1871. It is shaped like an octagon. It's mostly Mm -hmm. wood. It has these high risers in addition to pews. It also has a balcony that goes around, a wraparound balcony on three sides. It has open doors on each side. There's no air conditioning, so like it's just letting air in. And every yeah, yeah, Sunday, it's beautiful in that way. Four it's, it's, four sides of it open up uh, with two double doors, and so. it's on a little rise, like on a tiny little hill. So it feels mm-hmm. like it's elevated. It's very. It's just, right. It feels like a place of, of reflection. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like the spiritual home of the black community during the high season of August. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. And we end up going there a lot as well for all kinds of events. Right. And I just have to say this. Look, the first time I saw Stacey Abrams was at Union Chapel. This first time Stacey Abrams being the, 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 the black woman who ran for governor of Georgia until she lost in a controversial election a few years ago. But she's also helped to lead Georgia uh, in this most recent election that produced Senator Warnock. Uh, I saw and met Keisha Lance Bottoms there for the first time. 
this is a place that, like so many black churches in America, have been the center of not only cultural uh, worship and spiritual worship, but also political organizing. And in that way, the the vineyard is that on like a scale you've never seen before. I mean, we're talking about, you know, not just Ebenezer Baptist Church that produced Martin Luther King or any number of churches in the D.C. area. This is a church that draws national attention for uh, annual political fundraising, for political strategizing. Uh, you see people who are running for governor. You see people who have been secretaries uh, in cabinet level positions in Washington, D.C. This is truly a place and the Union Chapel at the center of it for serious black power building. Yeah. So this summer on a Sunday morning, we actually went there for a service. Uh, while the church is not it's a non-denominational church. It's not a black church uh, per se. But it's going to uh, feel like has, that in August is what you say. <laughs> like, it has it yeah. has uh, integrated uh, leadership and it has particularly curated programming, including Sunday morning sermons where they invite in prominent uh, black preachers from, uh, around, from the country. around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah each and Sunday. So, so we went there. The speaker was o- Otis Moss III, a guy who I right. is, is incredible, uh, powerful speaker. Uh, his church is Trinity United here on the South Side. Um, yep. And it's the same church that uh, that o- Obama attended for 20 years. Obama's uh, church, yep. He was married pastor there. Jeremiah Wright uh, became subject of some controversy yep. <laughs> during the 2008 campaign. Yep, yep. that church. And, and Otis Moss is, is Jeremiah Wright's successor. And, and, you know, so Otis Moss is someone that I've heard speak in Chicago several times. Uh, he's a powerful mm-hmm. speaker. He's an incredible thinker. Yeah, so here we are outside the church that morning, um, and the sermon's beginning, and we're going to do our own little call and response together. Neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. We have nothing to lose. So he is giving a sermon, and he... he he, one major part of it, he talks about going to the circus as a kid and how much he loves the circus, and particularly elephants. I loved everything. I loved the lions, the tigers, the bears. Oh my, I loved everything about the circus. But there was one particular animal that absolutely fascinated me, Gia, on a completely different level. And that were, that, those were the elephants. And he's such a great speaker, and he does this thing while he's speaking where he also sees people in the audience whom he knows, and he, he, he calls out their name. So there he says, right. Gia, yeah. and, you know, yeah. and it makes him feel like he's actually having a conversation with you. You're like, Gia, That's oh, right. yeah, it like wakes everybody up. It's great. <laughs> yes. So then he goes on, and he, he basically he tells this parable about, in a sense of, you know, why don't the elephants stampede us and kill all of us? They're so much bigger. And his uncle points out to him that they were shackled and their trainer has now removed the shackles, but they essentially still feel like they're shackled. They, right. they, they still feel constrained and they've internalized this. They're still, they're still in, under control. Yeah, well, just to clarify that too, he makes the point that they're, that they're shackled from the very beginning when they're tiny and they're, well, you know, for an elephant when they're babies. And so the conditioning that takes place, you know, over years of their lives, by the time they're full grown, uh, they're just accustomed to staying in their space. He builds sort of this t- to this crescendo uh, about how we have nothing left to lose. Like we're in the sense we have to, you know, whatever it is to take action, you have nothing left to lose. We have nothing. 
nothing to lose to order to build a world for our children's children. No matter who you are, we must join together in these yet to be United States of America. Whether you're Anglican or agnostic, Presbyterian or Pentecostal, Baptist or Buddhist, atheist or Asian, Jew or Gentile, Muslim or Methodist, country or ghetto, urban or suburban, Lutheran or Latino, queer or Quaker, PhD, no D, Yale or Yale, you graduated cum laude or thank you Lord, indigenous or immigrant, we have nothing to lose. Fight on, struggle on, we have nothing to lose. God bless you. I mean, how, oh how, gosh, yeah, how yeah. incredible is that? Like, <laughs> PhD or, or no, no D. D. Yeah, so, Lord, oh, thank you, Lord. No, that's that's just, that's incredible, yeah. right? We just felt this, we were moved by his words. On our feet, on our feet. Like everyone else there, I was incredibly moved by Otis Moss's speech. And I was also troubled by it. And maybe in a way that he even wanted people to be troubled. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It, it was that phrase, we have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sat there, Khalil, thinking about, about all the things that I and maybe other people do have to lose. Mm. You know, here we are incredibly privileged to be in this space. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's something that we could lose and we could, we could even choose to give up. Um, and there's even just, you know, vacation takes time, right? And so having the time to go away for a week and the work that needs to be done in the country is so consuming. Mm-hmm. And it's so demanding, and the things that are happening, like COVID, right, and and schools are under attack, which we we talk about in another episode. Like it's, it's happening in this moment, That's right? And voter um, suppression, it, right? And voter suppression is going on, and you know these are the conversations we're actually having in this mm-hmm. moment. So yeah, I just was sort of I was sitting with myself, thinking about all the things that I could lose or even choose to give up to try to to help the world you know and this might be this might be the the white guilt part of it Mm. but but i was thinking about here we are on vacation is it something that i that that i should even be giving up you know should i even be there yeah yeah like white dude having his cake and eating it too right yeah yeah. Because, because you know, I was about to go get a hamburger afterwards and go to the beach. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't going to leave, but but in that moment, I had these thoughts. Yeah, and I'm and I'm thinking them now too. Yeah. But yeah. but but yeah, yeah, you know, like we went and played tennis afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I'm glad you feel that way. You know, uh, as a white guy who um, you know has has an extra level of responsibility for your people and all oh, the yeah. shit they do but <laughs> i think part of part of this is really about you know if people are mostly there for one week ben um i think otis's message is you know you have to take this message back home yeah. and fight Probably anyone who's listening to this isn't surprised that we we alternate pretty quickly between playfulness and seriousness, right? Right. Yeah. And well, can I just say something about that? That's like a form of code switching, 
right? I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, part of the- Code switching. <laughs> I know, part of the I genius- don't, part I don't of, do that. Well, <laughs> yes, you do. But yes, code switching uh, is this concept that, uh, that black people have to um, perform a certain kind of assimilation politics, a kind of, you know, I'm not scary. I'm just like you, white person, powerful white person, uh, speak a certain way uh, that, that makes sense to white people. And so much of this episode, you know, is about how the island itself, you know, is a is a place where where people don't have to code switch. Um, they can mm. just lean into who they are. Yeah, yeah. So what I was going to say was, uh, you know, that that we, you and I, alternate very quickly between play and seriousness, and so it's not very surprising that for us that vacation is also a place where we're also doing what what people might consider work. Like that's actually just part of who we are and we like to do it. But that what you're saying too is right, that like that's true for for many people in this space, that mm-hmm. they're both on vacation and they're doing kind of socio-political work at the same time. I can't say it enough that for, you know, for a long time in this country, black people have had to make a choice about whether or not they pursue actual systemic change or whether they play by the rules in hopes that things will just happen somehow, uh, particularly for professional blacks working in the, in the private sector. Um, this, this black journalist, Ellis Coase, wrote a book right at the top of the Obama administration, uh, published in 2009. And he was responding to some evidence that black people had more positive outlooks on, on America and uh, on racial progress. And so he interviewed uh, Harvard MBAs, black Harvard MBAs, and then some other young people associated with a, a program called A Better Chance. He wanted to get their take on race relations in the age of Obama. And at the end of this analysis, uh, he asked those black Harvard MBAs uh, what the top 10 rules for individual success in black America. And they gave, you know, top, top nine rules were something along the lines of be hardworking, be ambitious, cultivate um, networks uh, of more powerful people than yourself, you know, make sure, you know, your dreams are really big. And then number 10, the number 10 rule for success uh, was never talk about race or gender mm. if you can avoid it other than to say race or gender do not matter. Yeah, yeah, that's and deep. So this is exactly yeah, so, the point. So, yeah, this is exactly the point. This is exactly the point that this is this space where you are free to talk about that, where no one is saying don't talk about those issues. It's it's, you know, you're whatever those people were imagining at Harvard of like being under pressure from trying to trying to adapt and fit into a, a mostly white space. Yeah. So at the end at the end, right, this is why the island has been and continues to be such an important place for power building, because people can be honest, they can be authentic and they can engage in these important uh, matters of renewal and, 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 and strategy. I mean, you know, everyone's not here to solve the world's problems, but it's certainly a place where if you opt into that, you can. Yeah, I, I completely agree about not just wanting that escape, but how that escape is, is a way to figure out what you're going to bring back you know, from the island to the mainland, which is both metaphor mm-hmm. and literal in this case, right? right? It's both the rejuvenation, but it's actually, it is actually a place of strategizing. It's a place of, of conversations. It's a place of ideas, uh, which, which generate. And, and, and personally for me and you, you know, this time that we spend together, which is filled with a lot of play, is also filled with so much um, discussion 
And mm-hmm. in a way, it's like a whole season of this show is sort of, you know, chopped up during during that uh, yes, time right. we have together, you know, by we're building these ideas. That's right. And I think that's the beauty of the island, both both in its actual majestical nature um, and the fact that it is an island, as you pointed out, you, you are off the mainland uh, and simultaneously a place where if you want to opt in uh, to the kind of uh, conversations about power building, um, you have so many uh, occasions. Yeah. And there's something too, I mean, I imagine for many people there of seeing this alternative America, you know, that, that right. if America had, if, if more black people had opportunities and the, the ability to grow in a certain way, that this is what the country would look like, that, that figuring out how to replicate that, that, that this yeah. has to, it can't just be here and it can't just be for these, you know, three weeks that, that people go in August, you know, that, that this has to, the re- the country needs to look like this. This needs to be our, our future. Um, well, well, the, the, the week that, that we spend together there and, and that our family spent together has been the best week of this year so far for me. Um, you know, <laughs> it's I'm still always the best. Week. I'm hoping I'm still hoping that that that, you know, the rest of the year I might have a really hot week that that tops it. But, uh, you know, but I but I always appreciate it. So uh, love you. Yeah. Love you, too. Some of My Best Friends Are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keishel Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Lita Molad and Mia LaBelle. Special thanks to Stanley Nelson and to Danielle Austin, because I definitely wouldn't have been going to Martha's Vineyard if it wasn't for her. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan Avery R. Young from his amazing album, Tubman. You will definitely want to check out more of his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider becoming a Pushnik. Pushnik is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushnik exclusively on Apple Podcast subscriptions. What's, what's, what's the old saying from football? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. Man. Size of the fight in the dog. I, I, said, I, ac- I actually said that this morning to Jonah while we were walking <laughs> to school. And, and, and our dog ran up to a giant German shepherd. <laughs> and I said, you know, hey, Jonah, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the That's dog. Right. And then I said, and our dog has neither. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that- That's good. It's good to know. 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.